metaphor. And, but like every metaphor, it breaks down, and so we'll explore that a little bit too. So anyway, let's go ahead and launch in with this with a dove. What is the dove of unhealthy communication? Well, the dove would be the peacemaker, or at least the self-proclaimed peacemaker. And the dove is likely to quote these verses or others like them. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be the sons of God. We're just following Jesus here. And if possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Okay, that's a... So the dove will come into a conflict situation and immediately seek to make peace and calm the waters. I don't know if this is resonating with any of you all. Uh, and so if they face situations like uh, they might with the hawk, who you're going to hear about in a second, their first response is to calm the waters, to suppress the storm. So is there a problem with that? Well, there is. And let me give you an example, uh, by way of example. I know somebody very close to me had a mom who was a dove, is a dove, and a dad who was a hawk. And the dad would come home from work or wherever it was, and he'd be angry. And he'd be, he'd sort of blow up or whatever, or he'd be indignant about things. Uh, and, the, and the mom would just kind of gather all the hens together and say, just be quiet. Don't, don't make him angry. Just go to, you know, just, he'll calm down. Um, the problem was what she didn't realize as the dove is that she probably felt like she was sacrificing and taking a little bit of abuse, but she didn't realize that she was actually sacrificing those around her with that approach. She was sacrificing the relationship her kids had with their dad because, and the dad was contributing to it, obviously, but she was, because she was basically not stepping up as the only person with some authority to talk to him. You don't want to be that person. But just so we can get, let me, let me give you another example. Anybody know who that is? Neville Chamberlain. The great peacemaker, right? The master of appeasement, the signer of the Munich Agreement. Um, Neville Chamberlain probably thought he was a peacemaker, but we know not a lot of peace came out of his decision-making. Neville Chamberlain wasn't a peacemaker at all because what do we need? Sometimes, let's face it, it takes a little bit of war to have peace. So we don't want to be Neville Chamberlain. And I'm sorry, brothers, but the truth is, since the fall, this has become true in our marriages as much as it has come in the World War. So, maybe half of you are doves, I don't know, maybe a third, um, but don't be. Now, I'm going to say this is kind of where the, the metaphor breaks down a little for me, because doves do represent peace, and peace is a good thing. So I don't want to go down this road of, of oh, go, go home and get in a big fight with the with your wife. That's not what I'm saying at all, obviously. The problem is we're not talking about a dove here. We're talking about a doormat. And there's a difference. Okay, so let's move on. The hawk. The chicken hawk, yeah. Isn't that cute? 
problem is this guy's anybody, anything but cute. So I said, maybe half of you are doves, and the other half maybe you're probably, possibly hawks. Hawks are aggressive, sanctimonious, always right in their own eyes. And the hawk probably is going to turn to Scripture, too, to justify his actions. Something like Jesus in the temple, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. See, that's what I'm doing. Don't you see? I'm right. I am defending my, you know, my, my honor with my sanctimonious activity. See, this gets, problem is this gets kind of to the heart of the hawk's problem. The hawk believes he's right and is thus justified by righteous indignation. That's what he's going to argue, right? You all ever leaned on righteous indignation as an excuse before for your actions? Hawk does. Problem is, that ain't what Jesus did. Unlike Jesus, the hawk actually has self-righteous indignation. Jesus never got angry about anybody dissing him. Jesus' anger came because he was worried about disrespect for his father, in this case. He was worried about Pharisees uh, dishonoring and hurting his people, the people. He was worried about everybody but himself. He had righteous indignation. In fact, his righteous indignation is what our friend the dove or the doormat could use a little more of. But this is not that. I might suggest... A better verse for the hawk to read, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. So I'm going to say here again that the metaphor breaks down a little. Um, and I only say that because I kind of like hawks. I think they're cool. So I don't want to be, you know, picking on hawks here. We're not really talking about a hawk. We're talking about a jerk. Really, that's what it is. So let's just be, you know, straight with it. Wise old owl. So I said, maybe half of you are does, half of you are hawks. The other half of you might be this fellow. You are the purveyors of reason. And you probably would point to Isaiah 118. In the middle of a conflict, you say, now come, let us reason together. Uh, I'm going to illustrate this very quickly with another example. I've got a few examples this morning. It's what comes out of, like I said, 20 years of marriage. Uh, my wife has a major pet peeve with me. Only one. Only one. It's here. In my, in my, yeah, you beat me to the thing. My wife has a major pet peeve with me. And it has to do with my habit of, and I may have shared this with you guys before, my habit of taking half a cookie off the cookie plate and leaving the other half there and eating it. She says, you know, why don't you just take the whole thing? What's wrong with you? And this has led to some unhealthy communication, I have to be honest. Um, so I've sought to restore healthy communication by means of reason, which is to say I pointed out to her at one point, your response to my grievous action is not in proportion with the action itself. It's pretty good, huh? I came up with that on the fly. It was awesome. In other words, what was I telling her? You're being unreasonable, okay? 
And your response does not take into account my entirely reasonable desire for half a cookie. Which is, you know, a joke, because like two minutes later I go get the rest of it. It happens every time. But anyway, again, what am I saying? You're being unreasonable. And anyway, what does it hurt you? That is to say, unless you're being unreasonable. How do you think that went over? Yeah, didn't really. <laughs> Here's the issue. When you engage the owl in your communications, you are on one level, by definition, calling your spouse or significant other or whoever you're talking to unreasonable. Probably not a good starting point for communication. Because you're not really enlightening, you're patronizing. Now, I don't want to say here that there's no room for reason. Again, just like peace, it's good. Just like righteous indignation, it has its place. The problem is you can't use it as a weapon for your position in a conflict or argument. Okay? Consider this. Atheists use reason all the time to forward their position in an argument. Do they not? How many times do you hear it? If you just engage reason, you'll know that God isn't really there. Godly people use reason to discern actual truth, objectively, remaining open to the consequences and the truth. So if you engage reason, make sure you're doing it to search for truth, not to bolster your opinion. Again, I would suggest to the owl that knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. All right, so we're moving on here. Coming to our last foul. Oh, by the way, yeah, there's, there's my, uh, when the owl metaphor breaks down, this is really what we're talking about, the snob, a little bit. Now, I know, I, I feel like I'm being pretty rough this morning as I go through this now. Seems kinder last night. Uh, but, hey, if you have a problem, talk to Chapman. Okay, our last one. Our last foul is the ostrich. So what do we say? Half of you might be doves, half of you might be hawks, half of you might be uh, owls, and the last half, ostriches. It's a lot of halves. Uh, this one kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? In fact, I, I couldn't even come up with a, a Bible verse to defend this guy. Um, Chapman had something about Jonah, and, and it was like trying to explain Trinitarianism. I don't know what he, where he was going with it, but so I just said, no, nah, I don't think there's a Bible verse to, that, that, that really justifies this behavior. But, um, but I'm going to give you my one last example for the morning on this one. I'm a daughter. I mean, I, I, I am. The, <laughs> did I really write that? It was late. <laughs> I'm the father of three daughters, all of whom are uh, teenagers. And within the last year, at one point, all three of them were under one roof with me and my lovely wife. My oldest one has since gone to college. Uh, and um, I miss her dearly, actually. Not actually, of course. Uh, but in any event, there were 1.3 teenage daughters who were of, um, you know, let's just say child-rearing age, I mean. And, and so... With that can come a collective moodiness. Okay, now I realize I am treading on extremely thin ice here. So let me just be clear about one thing for the record. 
It was always and every time my fault. <laughs> Completely. But as you can imagine, from time to time I would come home or I'd be home and it would be a little bit tumultuous in the house and sometimes I just didn't want to deal. And so maybe I'd go into my office, bury my head in a book, or look at a, turn on my computer, or more often than not, look at this thing. One point, Amy said to me, can you stop with the phone? We're here. Engage with us. You're always looking at your phone. I then, of course, jumped back into owl behavior and said, well, you do the same thing. But we're not there. We're past that now. She was right. I, it was classic ostrich behavior. Bury your head in the sand. Okay, and I don't like shoveling, so I didn't do that. I buried my head in something else, right? And then you can't engage in, head, in healthy communication if your head is in the ground. You just can't. Your wives and your families need you to be engaged. So I don't care how hard your day's been. I don't care how bad traffic was. I don't care what other priorities you're dealing with. There are really no excuses that allow you to have your head somewhere it shouldn't be. And most of all, you got to know that if you're sticking your head in the sand to avoid conflict, you're not avoiding anything. And you're also not using your God-given tools at your disposal. And by that, I mean the courage that God gives you to face difficult circumstances in a godly way. For God has given, not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Brothers, that's, that's timidity up there. That's not you. You are sons of the Almighty God who loves you and cares about you and has equipped you with everything that you need to lead your families well. And that is especially true of communication. So I came up with a bunch of haves, right? It didn't really kind of add up. Well, the point of that is this. We're not talking about people here. These are actually communication patterns. And chances are, if you're like me, you've engaged in more than one of these over the course of your very few years. You're all very young. Um, but you need to watch for them. So Sammy, maybe, maybe you've never been an ostrich, but maybe you've been a hawk or maybe you've been a dove or something like that. Okay, But think of it that way. I, I didn't mean to be up here beating up on people. I was beating up on com unhealthy communication patterns. And we can recognize them and we can deal with it. All right, so I don't want to leave you with a bunch of do-nots, and I'm just about out of time here. So I, I do want to, I want to give you just a, a quick thought on healthy communication. One thing, one thing that I guarantee will improve your marriage immediately. Be that bird. The bird with ears. I tried to find a picture of a bird with, like, ears. That was pretty good, though. Anyway, be that bird. It's the golden vice. Listen, and here's the thing. Listen actively. How many of you guys probably have heard of the active listening technique? Have you not? If you haven't, let me share it with you because, man, this will change things for you. When you're talking to your spouse or your significant other or whoever it may be, listen. Okay? 
let's be, let's be honest with ourselves. When we listen, most of the time we're formulating a response three or four words into the person talking. In other words, you're not really listening. You're just waiting to respond. Don't do that. Wait until your, your, your spouse finishes and you know she's finished. Even ask her, are you finished? Then repeat back to her. Yeah, okay, that might not be a good idea. <laughs> I didn't say, are you done yet? It's, dear, I'm really actively listening. Let me know. No, okay. There's no redeeming that one. Um, <laughs> when you're done, repeat to her what you think she said. Say, so if I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that it really makes you angry when I leave half a cookie on the plate. Okay? That's going to give you one of two things. She's going to say, well, actually, when she picks herself up the floor, she's going to say, yeah, yes, that's what I, you understand. Or she's going to say, no, you missed it completely. In which case, we go through to the beginning again. Ask her to re-say it again. The point I'm making is that this is actively wanting to know what your wife has to say about something, wanting to know what's on her heart, wanting to know what's on her mind. It's not about you. It's not about me. Once you've done this, uh, ask her this question. How does that make you feel? When she's no longer convinced that you've been possessed by some external demon, probably from the planet Venus, listen and take in what she's telling you. It's that simple. And um, here's the other thing. When you understand and when you know how she feels and when you have the ability, you've got all the information, if you're wrong, own it and apologize. If you don't think you're wrong, that's okay. Sometimes in a blue, blue, blue moon, our wives are not wrong. But don't react right away. Take some time to think through it. Okay? Think, think out of the part of your brain that's not the amygdala. And it will work. Just so you know that this is biblical, James 1.19 teaches us, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Brothers, that's, if there's anywhere that, that that needs to be true, it's in your marriages and in your relationships with your significant others. And a wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. So, bottom line, healthy communication is not about reacting, it's about listening. Healthy communication is not about responding, it's about understanding. And healthy communication is never about winning, it's always about loving. So listen until you understand, and then love. Let me pray us out of here. I went a little over my time. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for our marriages. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to communicate, Lord. We thank you that you've given us voices and minds to understand and hearts to love. Father, help us today. Send your spirit to help us engage these in the way that you want us to engage them, not in the way that we want them. Father, I, I pray over all of these men, Lord, that their, their relationships would be strengthened or restored, no matter what the case may be, Lord, in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And there's some discussion questions.
for you. You can read. Thanks. <laughs>